I'm going to just go ahead and uh, get us started with some basic questions for Pastor Tom. Uh, Pastor Tom, what is your name? Uh, my name is Tom. Tom right. Thomas Andrew Bennett. Thomas Andrew Bennett. Tab. I like that. T-A-B. And uh, Tom, how, how old are you now, my friend? Uh, just, on the, just on the verge of 35. 35 years of age? 35 in April. And tell your family over here, introduce your family. Well, they came out in force. Um, not all of them are members. We were hoping to kind of stack the deck. You were stacking it? Okay. Uh, but apparently not. Um, so obviously, my beautiful wife, Erin, my mother-in-law, Jane, uh, my brother-in-law, Brett, his wife, Trina, uh, her mom, Terry, and then Oma, um, Teresa, and then Aunt Laura, all the way down from Canada. All right. Um, medicine hat, if I'm not mistaken, which is three, three hours outside of Calgary. All right. She didn't come for me, but she happens to be here. Very good. Very think, good. My oh, and then my mom's right here. Yep. All right. And the girls, of course, are in uh, are, are child like, care. Are the kids here? Oh, Alice. Alice is hiding. She's in the Hi, back. Honey. Alice is coming up with a good, good. question. Good. Well, uh, first question, first legitimate question here for Pastor Tom. Pastor Tom, tell us, how did you come to faith in Jesus Christ? How did you become a Christian? Uh, when I, we'd actually, I think, just moved down to Mission Viejo in the mid-1980s. And I, I remember that, or at least I think I remember that, because I remember the orange carpet uh, in the house, in my bedroom. Um, and my mom explained to me that uh, if, I could, if I trusted in Jesus, I could have my sins forgiven, and that I could um, go to heaven when I died. And I, I mean, I just believed her. It wasn't like a, it wasn't, I didn't come up with arguments. It was just, I trusted my mom and I knew she wanted the best thing for me. And so I believed. And I, I, I believe at that moment I was um, a Christian, justified. That doesn't mean that things haven't changed over the years. They obviously have. Um, and hopefully a deeper sense of, of all of what that means. But that's, that's when I came to faith. Uh, since then, I mean, there's been, there's been ups and downs. And, and the, the, everyone knows that here, for the, especially the people who've been around for a long time. They've seen me be that young punk kid here. And so they know that it hasn't always been, you know, what you might uh, wish it to be. But I don't think I ever um, really departed from the faith. Uh, and then in the last 10 or 15 years, I've really tried to, to own it. All right. All right. Very good. Very good. Appreciate it. Thank you, sir. All right, let's, uh, let's get, get to some of these other questions here from the audience as well. Uh, we've got question uh, number six. That's a good one. Uh, Tom, what is your spiritual gift or gifts, and uh, how do you see yourself using them in the church? I would say, I mean, if you take the lists uh, in, in the New Testament, and there's several um, here and there, I would say probably the ones that I identify most with um, would be knowledge and teaching. And the one that I aspire to uh, is wisdom. Um, I, 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 I moonlight. I'm, I'm not just uh, on staff here. I also teach classes um, at Fuller Seminary uh, in theology. Um, and here, I mean, I, my, my joy is, you know, preparing sermons, uh, it's studying. It's thinking about how uh, the Word of God matters to people's lives, um, how its truth can shape us and change us. And I, I think that's where my giftings are. Uh, my giftings not typically compassion, if that's a gift, but I'm working on it. I would disagree with that. I think Tom's definitely a man of mercy. <laughs> Tom, uh, 
Give us uh, 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 question number four here. Give us a highlight in your recent spiritual journey. What's been a moment in your spiritual walk with Christ that was uh, a high point for you? I would say uh, most recently, um, and this is going to sound nerdy, but there it is. Uh, I, I've been working on a, a commentary for um, First, Second, and Third John. Um, been trying to write it, and I was studying at the very beginning of First John, which is very much like the Gospel of John, where it starts talking about, you know, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's Gospel of John. But it begins to talk about that. And I was sitting uh, at my desk, you know, trying to think of something clever to say about it, uh, when I, I just came to this moment where it was like, you know, the point's not to be clever. The point is to be awed. The point is to be brought to worship. I mean, that seems like a simple thing, um, but you, you get caught up in life and you get caught up in doing these things and trying to raise kids and be a decent husband um, and, and be an upstanding member of the church. You, you do all these things and, and there's this moment where you're reading scripture and it's like, no, Neil, shut up. Not N-E-I-L, but K-N-E-E-L, Neil. Kneel down and shut your mouth. I am God. Hmm. That's good. That's good. Uh, let's, let's get to some, some theology questions a little bit here. We've got uh, one in the audience here. Uh, I think I know this one. Mallory asks, my daughter asks, Tom, when was God born and how was God created? That's an excellent question. Um, <laughs> Mallory. Good question. Where, where, Mallory, where are you? Jeez, Sweetheart, that, good that is a beautiful question. Um, some of the stuff that I've, I've studied and, and thought about is the way that God um, can be seen as, as giving birth to us. We're born again, we say. But there is no being born with God. Um, I just quoted, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. That's the second verse of the Gospel of John. Um, in the beginning, at the start of it all, the origin, he, the word, was with God. That means they were there. They were already there. Um, they didn't need to start. They didn't need to get born. They needed to just be there. Now, it gets a little weird because sometimes we hear words like, you know, Jesus is the only begotten of the Father. You may have heard that, the only one born of the Father. But that's really, it's metaphorical language. It's not uh, meaning, it's just an image. It's a word picture to help us understand that, that there is a relationship between God and the Father and Jesus, his Son, um, it doesn't mean that God created Jesus. It means that, that God has that same kind of father-son relationship with Jesus um, that we have with our own uh, parents, ideally. All right. Thank you. Hope that answered it, Mallory. Next up, uh, here's a good question. Uh, is, is God's creation of all things, in, including hell, consistent with him being a loving God? Yes. <laughs> are you going to let him get away with that answer? Come on now, Pastor Tom. Explain it to us a little. How, how is it that God can also create hell and, and yet that be consistent with his love? Well, I think you know, the biggest problem, and this is, this is such a huge topic these days. People, people flip out about the idea of hell. It's, it's, it's awful. It's, it's crazy. One of the weird things I've noticed is I've been um, to some places in the world that are not the first world. I've been to some places where there's actually, like, it's pretty bad. You know, the interesting uh, thing about those places is that they totally get hell. It doesn't bother them at all. Because they live lives where they recognize that there's evil in the world. There's suffering. There's problems. And in fact, it would be wrong if the people 
who are perpetrating those evil, nasty, bad things if there was no justice. They see, they see, they see people go through their entire lives being absolutely evil, causing tremendous pain and suffering, and they look at that and they say, there's got to be some justice. And so hell makes sense in those contexts. Hell doesn't make sense in our context because we, we cover up evil. Um, and, and because we like to be sentimental about love. We like to think that love is just this ooh-ah, gooey-gooey feeling um, between, you know, I tell the kids in the youth group, between Belle and the Beast. They look at each other's eyes and they just, oh, and that's love. Well, that's not love. Love is when you're willing to do whatever it takes um, to bring about the good in a person's life. Love involves judgment. Love in- involves justice. And if there's no justice, there's no love. And as uncomfortable as, as I am with the idea of, of hell, I understand that God is not just loving, just merciful. He's also right. And he has a way that the world is supposed to be, and he is going to execute it. All right. Very good. Thank you. Um, let's talk uh, a little bit more uh, about Jesus again for a moment. Uh, this is a very important question. Question 61 from the audience. Pastor Tom, what is the scope of the atonement? Did Jesus die and pay the price for all sins or merely the sins of the elect? What an important question. That's a big one. Uh, and it's been the source of a lot of uh, controversy in the Protestant tradition. Um, but I think for me it comes down to First John two uh, two which says he himself is the propitiation of our sins. And then it adds this, and not our sins only, but also those of the whole world. Hmm. And what's crazy about that, the, uh, the Greek there is um, holocosmu, it's uh, the whole world, um, and it's where we get our word cosmos, or cosmic, the, the cosmos. Um, and, and throughout uh, John's literature, in the gospel, in, in the letters, he has this vision of what Jesus is doing that is absolutely... The only word for it is cosmic. In English, it's universal. It's, it's bigger than we could possibly imagine. Paul picks it up in Romans 8 when he talks about the creation itself groans awaiting for the revelation of the sons of God. I mean, there, the, the idea is what Jesus is doing at the cross is absolutely fundamental, it is absolutely essential, and it's absolutely overwhelming. His atonement at the cross is cosmic. It is universal. That doesn't mean that it applies to everyone. Hmm. Um, it means that the gift is there. That doesn't mean that you have to necessarily take the gift. God is, we're, we're free in that. We don't necessarily have to seize it. Um, but the gift is total, and it is um, cosmic. Okay. All right. Let's move uh, to a question on the, the Holy Spirit. This was a question, uh, question 42. Explain the Holy Spirit's role. What does the Holy Spirit do before, during, and after conversion? Uh, John talks about the uh, Holy Spirit um, before conversion being um, the one who convicts of sin. And I think um, also, also convicts or illumines to righteousness. So before uh, we are saved, the Spirit is out there doing stuff especially in our hearts. Um, if you're, you're walking around, I know a lot of people who are you know, atheists, agnostics, um, Jews, uh, observant and not observant. And what's interesting is they, they know a lot about 
Jesus and Christianity, but they never quite really believe it. They don't trust it, you know? Uh, and, and you wonder, is it not enough information? I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue is that the Spirit hasn't gone in and started working on that heart in a way that draws their eyes to Christ. So I think that's uh, what happens before um, during or at the moment of salvation, uh, we're told that we're sealed with the spirit of promise. Um, and that's, that's uh, it, it gets a lot of different terminology. I would say even probably um, the baptism of the spirit is another way of describing this. But we're indwelled with the spirit. The spirit seals us and takes, takes ownership over who we are, lives with us. Um, in John... Jesus promises a helper who will remain with you, abide with you. And that's significant language because abiding is what Jesus says he does. And so it's the spirit of Christ with us, indwelling us. Um, what's the last one? Uh, the Holy Spirit's role before, during, and after conversion. Uh, after conversion, the spirit is what empowers us. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 lists out all these different gifts that you can get, all these different things, ways that you can bless the body. Um, I see it with the kids in the youth group. Um, they're very, very energetic uh, in a way that I feel like I probably was at one point, but no longer am. Um, I believe a lot of that uh, vivaciousness, a lot of that joy is something the Spirit gives and empowers them to live for Christ. Um, And me too, I hope. All right. Let's go to the Bible for a moment. Uh, This is a question from the audience. Uh, Question number 26. Is the Bible inerrant? What is the scope of that inerrancy? Yeah, um, really, I mean, the, kind of the theme verse for that is uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. It says all scripture, all of it, is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable, it's useful, it matters for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness that the man of God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work. Um, I, for me, what's so fascinating about that verse, is, or those two verses, um, is uh, the man of God may be made complete. That word in Greek is actually, it's artios, and it can sometimes be translated adequate. Um, and adequate is kind of weird for us, but in the tradition, adequate means that you're up for it. It means that you're equal to a task. So you might say, someone might be looking up at Mount Everest and wondering, am I adequate? to conquer this mountain. We as Christians, we as people, are faced with a life in which God has set us up where we're going to go through life and there's going to be options for good works, for, for bad works, for all kinds of choices and decisions. And the question is, are we up to it? Are we adequate? And what 2 Timothy 3 tells us is yes. And why? Because we've got the scripture. We've got all of God's truth. Unfailing truth. The scope of inerrancy is, it's not, there, there is no end to the scope. All the truth that we need is right there in the Bible. When the Bible says this, this is what's up. And there's, there's no, you, you can't argue with that. Thank you. Very good answer. But, but Pastor Tom, <clears throat> someone writes, there are so many different versions of the Bible, Pastor Tom. There's the New King James and the King James and the New American Standard and the Living Bible and the Message Bible. And every once in a while, Pastor Tom, you write your own version up there. That's right. What in the world are you doing? And how do we know which version is right? <laughs> That's a, that is a good question. Uh, um, translation is a weird thing. 
Um, they're, they're, this is, this is, back in the day, uh, hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, in fact, people used to think that um, the language that the Bible was written in, primarily Hebrew and Greek and a little bit of Aramaic, um, that, that, that there was something really special about those languages. Um, subsequent scholarship has shown that's not the case. Um, the Hebrew of the Bible is normal Hebrew throughout the time of um, uh, Israel's reign. The, the Greek of the Bible is actually kind of, it's, they call it koine, it's common type Greek. It's sort of the English that might be spoken uh, abroad um, and not what we speak here in the United States. Um, there's nothing special about it, okay? There's nothing special about the language. There's nothing special about the words. What's special is what's behind the words. That's what the Spirit has inspired. And so what we're doing, the best we can as these limited, you know, sin-ridden, failing human beings is trying to get our best understanding of what the Spirit is communicating. And some people come up with it this way, other people come up with it that way, and we can fight about it and we can have an argument. Um, And so what I'm doing when I make up my own translations is I'm just trying to bring out, and oftentimes just for this text and this point that I want to make, what what, uh, is the best way to say this in English? Um, I think that the, the scriptures are limitlessly truthful. Uh, there's a lot of things that the, the scriptures don't mean. But I find that when I come back to the same verse over and over, I find new truth from God every time. God's way bigger than, um, than I am. And so uh, we use a lot of different translations to get little pieces of um, the majesty and glory of the one we worship. Okay, thank you. Are you going to write your own version, like a full version? Uh, Neil, I uh, no. <laughs> the, t- take... the TAB version, the yeah, Thomas the... Andrew Bennett version of Scripture. The the TAB version is not going to be happening. Okay. I'm not. I'm not I, see, I pretend like I'm good at Greek and Hebrew, but in like the you know actual academic world, they're like you hack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm going to stick with one, two, three, John, and then I'm going to quit. All right. By the way, uh, sticking with one, two, three, John. Pastor Tom, some of you don't know this. Many of you might not know this. Pastor Tom has been tasked, uh, the publisher again? Uh, Erdman's. Erdman's has tasked Pastor Tom, has uh, uh, asked him to be a participant in their commentary series uh, entitled... It's the uh, Between, or the Two Horizons. The Two Horizons series. Pastor Tom is writing the commentary for 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John for that commentary series. Isn't that amazing? Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. And uh, the other scholars that are writing some of the other books, you would, you would certainly know many of their names. And so it's a, quite an honor. We're really looking forward to this. Hey, here's a question. Uh, someone asked, do you consider yourself a dispensationalist? Now, this goes also to question 68, which is, what is the significance of the Jewish people? Are Israel and the church distinct? Do we make a distinction between Old Testament Israel and the New Testament church and what the future holds? What do you say, Pastor Tom? Uh, yes, I'm a dispensationalist. In fact, I think everyone's a dispensationalist, even if they don't think they are. <laughs> um, dispensationalism is the belief that uh, at different times throughout history, uh, God has acted and worked in different ways. Um, and then it gets very specific um, in some Protestant theology where we talk about, you may have heard things like the rapture, uh, the second coming uh, of Christ, uh, the tribulation, things like that. Those are all um, considered different dispensations. The reason I say everyone's a dispensationalist is because uh, if you look at 1 Samuel 3.1, it's this fascinating passage. It's in the Old Testament, and it's talking about this, how things are. And it says something like, um, God was not uh, you know, doing amazing things. There was no widespread, widespread revelation. 
It was like this time in Israel's history where God, who had been so present, had you know, rescued them from Israel, done all this amazing stuff, had just like said, you know what, that's it, I'm, I'm out of here, and just walks out off the stage. Um, and, and, and so all of Israel's an, in, anticipating his return to come back, do stuff again. Well, that's a dispensation. God said, you know what, I'm, I'm taking a break here, friends. Um, and so when we talk about a dispensationalist, yes, I'm a dispensationalist. Um, I, I can get more specific about that. Um, and, but in order to hit the, the Israel church question, yeah, there's a difference between Israel and the church. Uh, it, John 14, 16, um, Jesus uh, you, talks about um, the vine and the branches. And then again, in, in Romans 11, Paul talks about, um, he's talking to the Gentile church. He's like, you are a, a, a branch grafted on to the tree that is the church or that is Israel. Um, the idea is, is that Israel was God's chosen. They were first, and they have God's covenant, and that covenant will come to completion. And we're sort of like uh, Johnny-come-latelys, uh, thanks to the blood of Jesus. Uh, we have a different mission. We have a different um, calling right now, and so we're different than Israel. Uh, but in the last days, and at the very end, um, when revelation is made complete, uh, when Christ is all in all, um, then the church and Israel will be one again. All right. Thank you. Well, you, you brif- briefly touched on the end times in that answer as well. So here's a question from the audience. Uh, what is your belief uh, as to the rapture, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, and the order of events leading to the kingdom and the new heaven and the new earth? So how do you see the end times, Pastor Tom? Okay. Uh, that's it. When, when I was when I was uh, a kid here in high school, Arch, uh, he didn't. He still used a regular old projector, and he had a very uh, nice kind of timeline. And I'll try to sketch that uh, a little bit. Uh, first off, one of the big problems is is that when you're trying to to put all of the the texts of Scripture together, some things seem like they don't quite line up. And one of the big ones is if you look in First Thessalonians four. Um, and then also in First uh, uh, Corinthians 15, um, in one uh, in First Thessalonians 4, there's a great shout, and we'll all meet Christ in the air, and the dead will rise first. And then in First Corinthians 15, Paul says, even like in a, in a twinkling, twinkling of an eye, we'll all be changed. And so there's this sense that like um, that that there's something special that's happening for Christians where we're we're right with Jesus. And then you look at some other places where it will talk about, say, the day of the Lord or the second coming of Christ. Um, I think uh, specifically of Revelation 19, uh, Zechariah 14, uh, the mid the end of Daniel 12. And it's, there, it's just, uh, Mark 13, uh, Luke 21. I mean, all these places where, where there's violence and there's da-da-da and there's, and there's problems and there's troubling, uh, da-da-da, what we call the tri- tribulation is something that's coming. And the question is, what's the relationship between the two? Uh, I think for me, what seals the deal is First uh, Thessalonians five, um, where Paul he's said all these scary things that are going to come are going to happen, and he's talking to the Thessalonians. He says, "But I don't want you to worry about that, because you have not been appointed for wrath. Instead, you have been ordained for glory. No, that's not right. Something uh, in Christ Jesus, salvation in Christ Jesus, uh, say, suggesting to the Thessalonians, you're not going to have to." go through all that, all that, that trouble and, and, and problems and, and tribulation. And that's why uh, I stick with um, the pre, I'm in the pre-camp. Um, granted, it's not my specialty, but that's, uh, that's where I come down on that. All right. Well, one other uh, question related to end times. This comes from Jake Eichler. Uh, Jake wrote down his own question. Uh, it seems pretty easy to me, but I don't know if it's going to be easy for you. Uh, 
Who is the third horseman of the apocalypse in the book of Revelation? <laughs> really, Jake? I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't know. It's, you don't know that off the top of your head? No, I don't. Jake, not my specialty, man. Jake, I, to... you stumped Pastor Tom. Give him a hand. All right, Jake. Jake, I'm going to go with uh, pestilence. Is that right? Famine. Famine. Huh? Famine. Good job, Jake. <laughs> no, no more questions from the kids. Except, except for Sierra, because I told her to ask one. I, I, I was like, All right, here's Sierra's question. I got it right here. Here's Sierra's question. Pastor Tom, why do you want to be ordained? Why do you want to be ordained? Yeah. Um, I asked her to, to ask that because um, I just wanted to have a chance to just be honest with you all. Um, you, know, you talk about like a call, you know, like a vocation. And uh, I've never really looked at myself as, as Pastor Tom. That's not how I see myself. It's not how I wake up in the morning. Um, in fact, uh, year, almost two years ago, uh, we were at a church party, um, a staff party, and I remember people were, you know, gushing, being sentimental about each other, and Lloyd Grimm, bless you, Lloyd, Lloyd looks at me and he says, Tom, I'm sick and tired of you pretending like you're not this, whatever this is. He says, you are that. You have been called to, to serve this church. And, I, and I've been kicking against the ghost, fighting against it, trying everything I could to not think of myself as Pastor Tom. And Lloyd said that to me, and it, it you know, penetrated. And the reason I'm seeking orda- ordination is not because of anything about me, honestly. It's, it's because I, I want to feel like the people that I've loved at this church for so long. I want to feel, I want to believe, I want to know that they see it. That they see me is called to this ministry. Because I can feel one way or another that that changes day in, day out. But what matters to me is that the Spirit of God has stirred in you a sense that this is right. And if you feel that way, then I feel like I can do what I've been called to do. All right. Thank you very much. Um, Let's see here. Some other questions we've got. Uh, We had a question related to, um, here's a good one. Question 13. Pastor Tom, what would you do if a Christian was in sin? How would you handle a Christian person who was in deep sin? Yeah, um, I kind of stick with Jesus and Matthew. Um, Jesus, you know, he says, first, Tom, you go talk to that person on your own. Address it. Um, and ideally, you know, the Spirit is, is powerful in that conversation and it leads to repentance. That doesn't always happen. In that case, take uh, some, some witnesses, some other trusted people with you and, and then go address it again. Uh, ideally, the Spirit of God is in that conversation powerfully and we get repentance. Uh, not doesn't always happen. And if not, if it doesn't, that's when you start talking about separation. Now, that is all put into kind of a Jewish legal context. So there's a lot going on there that involves rabbis and whatnot that we're not sort of privy to, that we don't live and breathe. But the idea is, I think, still apt. I think it's inspired. I think that uh, sin, we've all got it, guys. Um, Neil and I sin too. Uh, and it's that ability to to be confronted by someone you love and trust, to, you know, 
make, make a possibility of repentance. And if that doesn't work, there is a time, I think, when, when sin becomes really infectious, really corrupting, um, especially for the church body. And if that's the case, I think it's within the elders' um, purview to, to look and say, is this dangerous for our, our congregation? And if so, then, you know, move on. All right. <clears throat> um, let's talk about cooperation with other churches. Uh, someone asks question 18. Uh, always a good question. What cooperation do you think Coast Bible Church should have with other churches? Uh, what are some parameters you would use in evaluating our measure of cooperation with other churches? Yeah, it's a really good question. There's a, this, it's super hot right now uh, in the world of like, you know, mainstream evangelicalism to be like, hey, anytime we've got a common goal, we're just going to partner with whomever uh, has that same goal. So, for example, it might be something that the church is into, you know, feeding the homeless. Doesn't matter who's doing it, we're going to partner with them. Doesn't matter what they're about. In fact, this will even, it doesn't necessarily even be other churches. It can be just an organization, you know, and we're just going to partner with them no matter what. Uh, I, there have been times in my life where I was cool with that. More and more, though, I, 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 it bothers me. It bothers me because I don't like the idea that we're out there doing something, and it's not specifically in the name of Jesus Christ. Friends, we don't do good in the world because good is good. That's not why we do good. We do good because we're called by God to do things in his name, to be Christ to the world. Um, and so for me, it's about, are, are we on the same page there, you know? Uh, I'm, I'm willing to, to partner with people who don't necessarily agree with every facet of our Constitution. I'm okay with that. Um, but let's, let's have the Trinity. Let's have uh, penal substitutionary atonement. Let's have the resurrection of Jesus. Let's have some of those basic fundamental things that we're Christians and then when we serve the homeless, or we go to Haiti, or we, do, uh, we help out Camp Allendale, we're specifically missional. We're, we're calling people to Christ as we do it, and not just saying, be warm, be well fed. Good answer. Uh, a few more. A uh, question here is uh, related to salvation. Number one, how can a person be saved? And, and secondly, what about good works? What if, you know, what if this person is, however they get saved and then they go on and they don't have a great life of good works, how does that impact their salvation? Yeah. The, uh, so that's like a sermon series. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give just a couple of comments. Uh, the first is, how are we saved? You know, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe does not have life. And the wrath of God is on him. That's from John. Um, you get salvation, and when we say salvation, I'm talking about cosmic, get out, you know, your get out of hell free card, if you want to call it that, that kind of salvation, that is you believe, and that's it, it's not, there's nothing else, you know, for by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, and not of works, lest anyone should boast. I love that verse, I mean, not only is it like a theme verse for this congregation, but it, and that not of yourselves. That that there in Greek, it, it, grammatically it has to be referring to gift, the gift of God. So what that means is it's all God's gift. The whole thing, the, the, the grace, the through faith, the saving, it's all God's gift. It is all God, and it's not you. And as soon as you step into that and be like, I have something here, you're missing it. You're missing what grace is. You're missing who God is. 
I, I believe this fundamentally. Uh, one of the things I love when, when John Calvin talks about, I mean, he doesn't specifically talk about it, but some of his followers do, irresistible grace, they, we really believe that it's the Spirit that tugs on us so that we see the truth of Christ. You know, it's all God. Start, finish, end. Now, that doesn't change the fact that James is right. Faith without works is dead. That's James 2. The question is, what does that mean? Um, I, I, I think... You know, there's a lot of words, necros in Greek, can mean a lot of things, dead. Um, it can mean everything from a corpse to something that has, it's kind of just bleh. You know, uh, you might even think uh, gardeners apparently have a term called um, wick. And when something is wick, it, it looks like a dead tree, but what it really needs is just a little water and a little light, and it'll just come back to life, right? Something's wick. It's dormant, you might even say dormant. I think that that's kind of what James is after. And he says, he says, you know, works um, make faith mature, complete. I agree with that. That's true. Faith by itself, I mean, you know, I, I love that, that, that we have faith, but man, we are called to so much more, being conformed to the image of his son. Our eternal destiny, let's get started now. Let's be a part of that. Um, that, that word, uh, mature, it's like the end, the, the end goal is, is faith being worked out in life. And I, you know, I'm not into a Christianity that's just, you know, all faith and then I just go sin. You know, that's that's not what we're about. That said, man, I, I trust that um, I trust Jesus when He says, "No one's going to snatch you out of My hand. No one's going to snatch anything out of My Father's hand." I trust that, and I'm going to I'm going to take that to the bank. Okay, I'm about three or four more questions here. Another one from a kid. Uh, this one from Luke Malapard. Pastor Tom, what is the exact date Jesus was born? Yeah. Where's Luke? Hey, buddy. Yeah, it's uh, December 25th. Uh, zero? AD zero. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, look, I don't know. Apparently, there's a bunch of scholars who say that Jesus was actually born in like AD four or six or someone there, somewhere in there, and he was actually born at a different time of the year. I mean, we'll, we'll find out when we get to heaven, big guy. Uh, here's a tough one. Are the sign gifts for today, Pastor Tom? Speaking in tongues, uh, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, uh, these kinds of things are, are the sign gifts for today. Um, growing up, I, I said no. I was dogmatic about it. Uh, then I experienced some things, not personally, but uh, close friends and people that I've known uh, that were difficult to wrap my head around. Um, I've known people, like talked to them, who have been healed, um, like miraculously, like where I'm like, uh, okay, that's, I don't know how to explain that. Um, and I, I know a guy who was healed, um, and he just told me this in October. I mean, this is recent, fresh. His wife was given a word by someone saying, I just had this vision about your husband, knowing nothing about the guy. And then at that same time, while that was going on, uh, he was in the shower um, experiencing a healing. Now, I don't know what to make of that. Um, I'm sure that modern science will tell you that this, that, or the other thing happened. I'm not cool with that. I, I, I'm not going to put any limits on what God does. That said, um, what I've also noticed in, is that people will take sign gifts, prophecy, tongues, healing, and they'll use it as um, a way to get stuff. Hmm. They'll, they'll use it as a way to um, become powerful, rich, popular, 
Uh, and you can see how that would work. Oh, this person has a special gift from God that I don't have, and so they must be really, really holy. Well, man, the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 12 is saying, don't do that. Don't do that. Just because someone um, has been given a special gift, maybe just for a little time by the Spirit, all they are is a member of, of Christ's body. And um, don't, yeah, knowledge puffs up. Don't, don't do that. I love it. What is the one thing Jesus wants us to do? Good question. Someone wrote that out. What is the one thing Jesus wants us to do? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right. Tom, you're in a, this is a separate question here. You are now in a leadership position in the church. Please describe your leadership style. How will you be a leader? Um, Super laissez-faire, hands-off, do whatever you want. Uh, Don't bother me, I'm in the office. Um, No, uh, um, (laughs) I'll just, okay, peer behind the curtain. Bad cop, good cop. (laughs) Uh, Look, it it works for a reason, guys. Um, When you're trying to break somebody, and you all need to be broken. You're all obstinate, just stubborn uh, willful mules, and you need to be broken. And uh, but you're, that... really, you're really helping your vote <laughs> later on by uh, your characterization of the people here. Uh, I, I joke, kind of. Um, no, it's true though. Um, one of the things that was so weird to me uh, about ten years ago, when I was um, I was going through a tough time in my life, but I was actually trying to lead worship here badly. Doug, Doug, thank you, thank you for coming, Estella. Thank you. Thank you for making the worship here wonderful. I was doing a, a bad job of it. Um, and I, one of the things that my dad would, would say to me is he'd say, Tom, you need to love the people. Um, and I was like, I love them. You know, I love them like I love you. I'm mad at them. I'm, I, I'm just angry all the time. Um, I'm just not in a great place. But I still kind of love them. He's like, that's not love. You know, it's part of love. First Thessalonians, when, when Paul says, you know, you'd become dear to us. Affection. That was lacking. It really was. Um, and I would say over the last really five years, one of the things that's been crazy to me is how much affection I believe that the Spirit has brought about in my heart for the people of this church. And so when we talk about a leadership style, my leadership is going to be, I'm going to let you know how much you matter to me. I'm going to let you know how much I care about you. And I'm going to hope and pray that that... Um, and then after I've done that, I'm going to send Neil in to kind of slam your head on the table. <laughs> what do you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, no, that's, that's okay. That's as close as I'm going to get. Uh, I think this was from uh, Scott Eichler, but I'm, I can't be sure. Uh, what is the uh, integral of the derivative of X2? Oh. Is it 1? Dustin, where are we? That's Dustin's question for sure. Does Dustin, Dustin's an engineer. He's done like actual real work. My work as a PhD is like, oh, this might mean this, it might mean that. Dustin actually has to make sure that houses don't fall when, when he's, <laughs> there's like a, so Dustin, I'm going to let the, ma- I'm going to put math in your hands. <laughs> okay, there you go. It was Dustin's question. Uh, last I, I, two. By the way, I do tutor math, so if you're, uh, if you're kids. <laughs> <laughs> last questions. Uh, how are you, um, how, how does it work at home with Aaron and the girls? How are you uh, uh, encouraging your family in your spiritual journey together as a family? Badly. 
Um, uh, one of the things we want to do is we want to model for the kids um, what love looks like, what it looks like to be a Christian. So, you know, we read Bible stories to the kids. We pray with them. We bless them. We don't have a blessing for Olivia yet. She's too young. Um, but we, we do have a blessing we give to Alice every night. Uh, we want them to know that this is serious for us. You know, I feel like a lot of people, you know, want their kids brought up in church so that they make better choices or something like that. The thing that's so weird about that is it doesn't work unless the kids pick up on the fact that you're there for you, that you really want to worship God. Um, and so we're trying to, trying to model that. All right. And finally, as a, a, a pastor of the church and, uh, and, and in your new role, what, what, um, what recommendations would you have for the church? Do you have for the elders? Where does Coast need to grow and change and modify for the future? Yeah. Here's the thing. I, I, I would love to see, um, honestly, I would love to see this church uh, get bigger. Hmm. Um, but here's the thing, though. Uh, what I love about this church, I've been to a lot of churches. I've been all over the world. I've been to a small missionary Baptist church in rural Japan where I worshiped every week with 12 Japanese farmers. I've been there. I've also been to a mega church. Um, it was awesome. Uh, they had very famous people that worked there. Uh, we were there for a couple of years. There is no church on earth, at least as far as I've been to, that does Bible, that does grace, and does family like this place. It is an absolute phenomenon. People will come to our church for just a couple of years, they'll leave, and then they'll come back and they'll say, I've never been in a place like this, and I'll never find it again. I would love for our church to do the things that it takes to, to, to get more folks every week, but not at the cost of Bible, grace, and family. And so it's a double charge. It's a double vision. On the one hand, it's like, let's think about what, you know, how do we can pay our bills and all that. On the other, thi- on the other hand, let's think about what do we do to, to cherish this special place and preserve it for the next generation. All right. And then lastly, what's the best seminary in Southern California? <laughs> wow, well, it's, uh, it's Talbot. I mean, obviously. Right? Good answer. Give uh, Tom a big hand of applause. Thank you very much, Pastor Tom. Have a seat. And uh, at this time, at this time, members, and members only, members only, you have uh, a sheet of paper uh, next to you that you tore off at the beginning of this process. I'm going to ask you, uh, would you prayerfully consider... Uh, your participation, your response to what you've seen and heard and known over this time from Pastor Tom. Um, if, if, the, if you don't have a ballot, please raise your hand. Uh, conversely, you could just uh, t- tear off another portion of paper and, and put down your vote. And I'm going to ask all the votes to go to the outsides. So uh, Matt and uh, the elders that will be counting, uh, Lou and Dave, go ahead and stand up at this time. Dave Bacon and Lou. And we're going to pass the votes to the, the outsides here, this way. We're going to make sure each and every one of those votes are counted. 
This is a, the time for you, like the people of Israel before you, to respond to the one uh, whom we believe ought to be ordained and inaugurated in the church. Well, uh, it's, it's a good thing that uh, Tom's father, Dave, uh, called in with his final vote. Uh, they had to, you were on the phone with him, Dave, Lou? You guys were on the phone with uh, Dave making sure that, okay, we, just by a vote. Uh, 64 yes, uh, zero no's. At this time, I'd like to call all the elders forward, and uh, Pastor Tom, would you come forward? And uh, I'd like you to, to kneel down right there, my friend. And we, as an elder board, in accordance with Paul toward Timothy uh, before us, and in accordance with Moses toward Joshua also before us, we're going to lay hands on Pastor Tom and we're going to ordain him as elders of Coast Bible Church, uh, Glenn, and then Dan, and then myself. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for the chance to enter your throne room with our brothers and sisters here. We ask, Lord, that you would just take Tom, who we've known for many years, who we love. We just ask, Lord, you would take him and make him a faithful minister of your gospel. He's got many years ahead of him, Father. Help him to grow. Help him to just be consistent in his presentation of your truth. We know, Lord, that you love him, and we know that he loves us. We ask, Lord, now that you would just give him a special blessing of peace, a special blessing of love. Help him, Father, to be consistent in his walk. Lord, we thank you for him and for all that are here now. Father, we're so thankful for a day like today. We celebrate with Tom. We're proud of Tom, just as we know you are, that you're celebrating with him right now. Father, we thank you for the leadership and the role that he's taken on in our church. And, and like Tom said, in our special church, Coast is a unique place. We're so thankful that he's made this decision to be ordained. Father, we just pray that you would help him to continue to grow in your word. Father, we pray for wisdom. Father, we pray that you would help him balance his time with family. Lord, we just pray that you would give him all the things that he desires. We pray that he would continue to mentor us, to teach us, Father. Continue to give him wisdom and guidance. pray these things in Jesus' name. And Father, we, uh, like Moses... Uh, to Joshua, when he, when he laid a hand on him, your word tells us that Joshua received a spirit of wisdom. And like Paul on Timothy, when Paul laid his hand on Timothy, Lord, you, you explain to us in your word that Timothy received a special gift, an ability, a charisma, if you will, to go out and to boldly preach and teach your word and to proclaim the saving grace of our Savior Jesus Christ. And so also we lay hands on Pastor Tom and we pray for a special anointing upon him, a special uh, supernatural gifting by your Spirit that he would take what he's already learned and grown in and, and has developed, uh, you've already developed in him, Lord, and that you would now take it to another level of intimacy with you, 
that you would take it to another level of deeper relationship with you, that you would take it to new heights, Father, of gifting and skill and ability to communicate your word and to minister to the saints of your church. So, Father, we just lay hands on Pastor Tom. We commit him to you. We commit Aaron to you and their beautiful girls. Lord, bless this family. Bless their future. Thank you for letting us be the recipients of what you're going to do through them. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's give him a hand. And right back in the back here, we're going to take a, a picture here. We have a certificate of ordination. Uh, your, your dad still has to sign it. So, but uh, it says, having been examined under the provisions for a pastor and reviewed of his faith, doctrine, gifts, and commitment to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as revealed in Scripture, we hereby ordain Thomas Andrew Bennett to the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ this 31st day of January 2016. The aforementioned individual is hereby authorized to perform the duties of a pastor in the service of the Christian church. Let's give Tom a big round of applause.